Welcome to the Eastside Church Podcast. We're a community-driven church based in Charlotte, North Carolina, and invite you to join us on Sundays at 9 or 11 a.m. For more information, visit our website, eastsidechurch.co. If you got your Bible open with me to Acts chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. <laughs> that was really strange. I'm still, I'm just, it's, it's still washing over me. I'm trying to, all right, Lord, let me pray. How about that? <laughs> Father, in the name of Jesus, this is your word. Father, I just thank you for it. I ask you, God, to open our eyes and our hearts to receive. Father, I pray that anything that the enemy would do to hinder us from receiving everything you have in the kingdom, that you would wash it away, that you would break down the walls, that we would have eyes to see and ears to hear your word. We'd get revelation, God, like never before this morning. I ask you, God, to, to bring it to us by your spirit. I thank you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm excited about this morning. We're talking about kingdom carriers. We've been in a series for quite some time. Uh, we just are trying to become something. How many of you know that God wants the church to actually become something? I mean, we are on mission from God, and that's what this really is about because We've been talking about different keys to the kingdom, God bringing different keys uh, to us so that we would be able to work the kingdom uh, in, in this land, in this time, in this place. And um, today, I'm going to talk about the thing that he brings us, the power that he brings us through the anointing of the Holy Spirit that enables us actually to be successful. And this is a, a, a touchy subject, and, um, and we all come from all kinds of different backgrounds. But I think, personally, and I think what the Lord has me on mission to do is expose some of the lies that we've bought into as believers when it comes to being filled with the Holy Spirit. We did a little bit on Wednesday night as we begin to exercise uh, some gifts that the Lord had given us, but I want to just cover the kind of the whole topic. I think I'm going to spend a couple few weeks here, however the Lord leads, but this morning I'm just going to read through, um, I'm going to read through uh, 13. I'm going to be reading from the New King James. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven. Say suddenly. suddenly. There came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire and one set upon each of them. Now, what I want you to understand is, first of all, that what we're seeing here is a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. But if you'll look at both of these descriptions, what you're going to find is, is that the author is giving you his best ability to describe what he's seeing. In other words, we, we see and we think about, you know, this flame of fire that's set over each person's head, but that's not actually what's going on. 
Because it's saying here that it, you know, the best way I can describe this is it looked like a, you know, it looked like a flame of fire. It's as of it, you know, but it wasn't. It was the Holy Spirit. It was a manifestation of God. The same thing is true with the wind that blows in. There's this sound that comes, and it sounded like the wind. Was it the wind? It wasn't. It was the Holy Spirit. And so this is the author's description, Paul's description, his best way of describing what's going on in Acts. Actually, it's Luke, I'm sorry. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. Say that with me. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Amen. And they were dwelling in Jerusalem, Jews, devout men. It's important that you understand what a devout man is. A devout man is somebody who was in hot pursuit of the Lord. It's not somebody that was lukewarm. It wasn't a lukewarm Christian. It was somebody who was uh, just passionately with nothing really more important to them than the pursuit of God. They were all kinds of these devout men from every nation under heaven. They were there because it was Pentecost. It was the weekend, 50 days after the resurrection, which is the second feast of the Jewish celebration. And so they were there as they normally are there, 50 days or 49 days after Passover. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together. And so the sound that they heard brought them together. And because of the sound and because of what they saw and what they experienced, they were confused. Say that with me. They were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. Then they were all amazed and marveled, saying to one another, look. Are not all these who speak Galileans? And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? Now, to get the full effect of this, you've got to understand that they're hearing two things. They're actually hearing two things, right? Because they see something that looks like fire. They hear the wind and they hear them speaking in tongues, correct? But they also hear them in their own language. Correct? So they're hearing both things at the same time. Correct? That's interesting, isn't it? That they're hearing one thing, but in their mind, they're processing another. It says, it's not saying that they're hearing them, they're hearing tongues, but they're hearing by their interpretation in their own language. And it says about them that they all were hearing in their own language. And how is it that we hear each in our own language in which we were born? And it goes through these, all these people groups, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and, and those dwelling in Mesopotamia, Judea, Cabo, uh, Cab yeah, that's it, Cappadocia, thank you, Pontus and Asia. There's just this whole list of visitors from Rome, and they're all were Jews. Cretans and Arabs, we hear them speaking in our own tongues the wonderful works of God. So they were 
all, say that word, so they were all, all amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, whatever could this mean? But at the same time, people were mocking them, saying they are full of new wine. Interesting, isn't it? As we digest this part, and I'm going to go to the second part when we talk about Peter's sermon here in just a minute, but I want to just digest with you just a minute this first part. Let's just go over the facts real quickly. We, we have this sound of a mighty rushing wind that draws a crowd. When the crowd gets there, they see these things that is best described as individual pockets of fire over their head, which is interesting. Especially when you think about Elijah being caught up in the chariot of fire. It's interesting all by itself. I mean, you can get into different places in Scripture where, where you see the work of the Holy Spirit working. But they hear the tongues, and then they are interpreting the tongues at the same time because they're hearing it in their own language. And in the midst of that, they're confused. And they're perplexed. And they're amazed. Now here's what I want to just expose. <clears throat> when we see and hear and think about the outpouring of God today in the church and in the church world, we have religious, pharisaical people trying to tell us that we shouldn't be confused and perplexed and amazed. Because everything, sh God's not an author of confusion. Have you heard that before? You've heard that before, right? What happened? Well, wait a minute, were they confused? They were confused. They were amazed and they were perplexed. But we don't like that in the church today. We want to be able to figure everything out as it's going on. And we really want heaven to open up on top of us. I mean, we want to see the miraculous works of God. God, why aren't you doing what you used to do? Lord, we really want to see your works. We just want to understand it and make sure it's decent and in order. <laughs> Come on. I don't want to be confused, amazed, and perplexed about what's going on here. You can't do anything unless I understand it. Unless I've got some theological explanation of how I can explain this away. Help me. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Let me just give you another one. This was great. This is really good. Were they all praying in tongues at the same time? Yes. Huh? Yes. Were they, let me, that's all, it's one person that agrees. Were they all praying in tongues at the same time? Yes. They were, weren't they? Didn't they know that that was out of order? Didn't they know you weren't supposed to be doing that? Didn't you know that the religious police were helping correct them theologically? 
I'm about done with it. <laughs> you know what? Because it robs you. Let me just say this. God wants to pour out his spirit on the church. He, he wants heaven open. He has opened heaven. We have the ability to receive everything God has. Every spiritual blessing in heavenly places is ours. If we don't make God, if we don't try to vacuum God up in a box and make him work inside our framework, then we open, allow heaven to be actually opened up on top of us. And if it is, there's no way that you're going to have understanding immediately. And when it does, when the religious police come in and say, that's out of order, we need to make sure we do this and this and this and this. What it does is it makes you absolutely fearful of everything the Lord wants to pour out. And so what happens is people refuse to pray in the Spirit or be open to all the other spiritual gift and operation in the church because they feel like they're going to do it wrong. And then what happens is they no longer pray in the Spirit in the church, so they no longer pray in the Spirit at home. And then they get home, and for six months they hadn't prayed in the Spirit. And so the only way that they have effective prayer is if they pray in the Spirit because the Lord says, or if they have perfect understanding, because the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 8 that if you don't know what to pray, when you, when you don't know what to pray, the Spirit of the Lord makes intercession on behalf, your behalf and prays the will of God. And so it's impossible for you to even be praying the will of God over those six months because you're fearful you're going to do something wrong. And it, and, and it, is, it, is, it is the devil's strategy to keep the church boxed into a place where they can't experience the outpouring of heaven upon the church that was designed and made available by the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Yes. Somebody say amen. amen. <laughs> That's amazing, isn't it? And we, I was tricked. I've been tricked. Listen, I want to tell you, all of, us, all, of us, all of us have to deal with this. I was on a leadership team. I hate to even admit this. But it's the truth because I want you to be able to identify with what you've experienced and what, what, you, what you've had to deal with. But I was in a leadership group of a team of pastors that were in charge of the spiritual growth of a church. I mean, it was, um, it was a substantial church. Then we made a decision that we weren't going to let anybody sing in the spirit in a microphone anymore. Couldn't do it. And the Lord showed me here recently, about two years ago, that that was the biggest leadership mistake that I'd ever made in my life. And he showed me, and if you ask the Lord, he'll show you the road that it takes you down and how you end up where you end up. But then he is the redeemer. Right? So then he wants to come in and redeem all that mess that you messed up. And so we all have made mistakes. We all have quenched the Holy Spirit. Now, should a service like this be in order? Absolutely, there's authority here. And it needs to be in order. But there doesn't need to be fear. And there doesn't need to be a closed-off heaven because... 
we're fearful that we're going to do something wrong. And most people are fearful that it's not God. Most people are fearful that somehow a demon spirit's gotten in there and it's going to do something, which is ridiculous. The demon spirit is actually the spirit of religion, and it's been around ever since the Pharisees. Let me, you want me to say that one more time? Because that is good. <laughs> the demon spirit is the pharisaical spirit that's been around ever since Jesus walked the earth. It wants to bring religion and legalism to lock down the church so that it can't function in abundance and in prosperity. So let's look real quickly at the word Pentecost. Pentecost actually means 50. It was a celebrated, it's the second of three Jewish feasts celebrated at Jerusalem yearly. It's the seventh week after the Passover. And it is, listen to this, it is in gratitude and the recognition of a completed harvest. Think about that for a minute. When you think about the idea of Pentecost and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit happening on the day that there's a celebration of a completed harvest, that you've received the fruit of your labor, Whoosh. outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Happening after Passover, which is the feast that says death is defeated. Do you think it might be substantial and important for the church to understand what God meant at Pentecost and what God intended for the church to, to begin to walk in at Pentecost, which is the fullness of the Holy Spirit? Until uh, this day, until the day of Pentecost, uh, 50 days after Jesus' resurrection, the Holy Spirit was at work all over the place in the Old Testament. The only thing about that, in most cases, there were some, some, uh, some cases, and we'll talk about them here in just a minute, that the Holy Spirit came out on groups of people and did things for specific tasks, did, did for, for, for certain things. But mostly the Holy Spirit came on kings and priests and prophets. <laughs> kings, priests, and prophets. So let me just walk through just a few examples of the Father's work in a supernatural way, in an unexplainable way, in somewhat of a confusing, amazing, perplexing way in the Old Testament before the death and resurrection of Jesus. In the beginning, in Genesis chapter 1, the Holy Spirit was acting and present at creation, hovering over the unordered conditions of the chaotic world that we lived in. The Holy Spirit was active and working there. And when, when Jesus spoke, when the Father spoke through Jesus, the Holy Spirit did the work. In Genesis 41, it was the origin of supernatural abilities. He actually gave craftsmen and artists and musicians supernatural ability to, to, to do things excellently. In Exodus chapter 31, he, he gave the artistic skills to do the temple of the Holy Spirit. I mean, temple of the, of the uh, Israel, Israel, 
Israel, the temple of Israel in Jerusalem. The source of power and strength to Samson in Judges chapter 3 and 9. David talks about it all the time that he slayed a bear and he slayed a lion. And he knew that it was the power of the Holy Spirit. He got five stones just in case the, how, the, the Holy Spirit wasn't sufficient for him. But he didn't need five stones, did he? He only needed one stone. Guided by the Holy Spirit to hit Goliath. We see that the work of the Holy Spirit was active in those situations. It gave the source of power and strength. In Samuel, it was the inspiration of prophecy. In Micah, it was the mediation of God's message. Micah says this, because I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, I can tell you your condition and how you need to get out of it. Listen, the Holy Spirit wants to still do that to you. He wants to help you discern what your condition is, why you are where you are, give you wisdom. God says, if you'll ask me for wisdom without doubting, I'll give it without making fun of how you got where you are. Yes. Yeah. So I'll give it to you just like he did all through the Old Testament. And with Micah, Micah says this message is from God because I am filled with the Holy Spirit. Amen. I love that. In the Old Testament. In Ezekiel chapter 36, the Holy Spirit cleanses the heart for holy living. You know, when we think and see the definition that some have about grace, that is unmerited favor and it stops with unmerited favor, instead of expanding that, that definition into what God intended it to be, and that is God's power working in your circumstances that allows you to do more than you can do on your own. That, that ability to overcome sin because sin has no more power over you because the old man is dead, dead, dead. The Holy Spirit's job in the New Testament, and we see... After or when it began to indwell believers, we see all kinds of fruit. In John chapter 16, it said that the Holy Spirit will bring conviction, that it shows you what is truth. It will reveal what is truth. It brings conviction. It, in that conviction, it then regenerates the believer. In Titus chapter 3, verse 5, he talks about that regeneration. In 2 Thessalonians, it sanctifies the believer. The Holy Spirit sets the believer apart for the works of ministry. Every believer. In Romans and John, it completely indwells the believer. John chapter 14 and Romans chapter 8. Is a picture of the indwelt believer filled with the Holy Spirit. In John and in 1 Corinthians, the Holy Spirit is the one who leads us into truth. Again, imparts all spiritual truth. In John 16, he glorifies Christ. In Acts chapter 1, it endows with power for gospel proclamation. In Acts chapter 2, verse 4, it fills all believers. In Romans chapter 5, verse 5, it pours out God's love in the hearts of men and women. In Romans 8 and Galatians 5, it enables believers 
to walk in holiness. In Romans chapter 8, the Holy Spirit makes intercession for us. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, it imparts spiritual gifts to us so that we can do the works of the ministry. And in, in Ephesians chapter 3, it strengthens the inner being. How, how many of you know, we sing this song all the time. We sing these kinds of songs. Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Oh, my soul. Worship his whole. You're going to leave me out here. He name. Sing like never before. Oh, my soul. I worship your holy name. It's a command to the soul. Oftentimes you don't feel like it. And because of the indwelling work of the Holy Spirit, you are able to tell your soul to respond like this because this is truth. He gives us the ability to walk in holiness. And so we see all that. And we understand all that. But I think the biggest thing that we need to understand today, and what the Lord wants us to understand today, is that you cannot be successful as a believer without understanding that God wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. And that is for all believers. It's for all believers. And that every spiritual gift, and we're going to teach on this even more, but I want you to understand this. The Holy Spirit has every spiritual gift. Another mistake I made in ministry is doing spiritual gift assessments. How many have ever done a spiritual gift assessment? This is not a guilt thing. Have you... Really, seriously, honestly, raise your hand if you've done a spirit. Thank you so much for your participation. <laughs> it's not, doesn't mean you're a heathen. You're not, you know, you're, I've, I've done every one of them. I, can th I mean, I've seen a ton of them. I've done them all. And you know what that does? It pigeonholes you into thinking it's more of a personality test than it is a spiritual mm -hmm. gift test. That's right. You could do the Myers-Briggs and come out with something similar. And the truth of the matter is, the Holy Spirit has every spiritual gift. And He knows what's needed in the situation. And do you think God's big enough that through a, 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 a believer who is, who is surrendered and subject to the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of a believer, you think God's grace is sufficient to be able to conjure up the spiritual gift needed at the time? If that's a gift of healing, if that's a word of knowledge, if that is a prophetic word, is it, if that is a tongue and interpretation of tongue, is that, is that, is that a miraculous gift, is that a laying on of hands and a, a miracle happened? Do you think that our God might be big enough if he has a surrendered believer to actually pull that off? The answer is yes, but what we want to do is put God in a box, and that box includes us not believing that he has much to work with. The only qualification that it takes to be used by God is humility and surrender. Then, yes. as you are humble before God, dependent upon God, the Holy Spirit, as you're filled with the Holy Spirit, is able to carry out every spiritual gift.
and we should be wanting to operate in them. It should be our heart's desire to operate in spiritual gifts. Paul said this. Listen, I ain't even gotten to what P Peter said yet. Paul said this. I, 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 I wish you prayed in tongues as much as I do. I pray in tongues more than you. Do you think he's trying to hinder you from praying in tongues? Then why does it feel like the church is trying to hinder us from praying in tongues? We come up with all kinds of excuses, but it, does, it feels that way, doesn't it? It feels like we're being oppressed. Do you think that is Pauline? Or you think it might be religion? Paul says, Paul's your cheerleader. Paul's going, go, 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 go. Man, go, 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 go. Do it, do it, do it, do it, do it, do it. I wish you did it like me. Right? But we are scared to death. Why? Because we're confused, perplexed. <laughs> right? Isn't it true? Not much has changed, is it? And the thing about it is, in the midst of this happening, now you've got this supernatural deal, man. You got a supernatural deal. Before I get to that, man, I got so much. I ain't even got to the Peter thing yet. I, I might have to do it next week. Listen. <laughs> there were, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, there were 500 people that Jesus saw after he resurrected from the dead, right? Do you think he might have said, now listen, I want you to go to Jerusalem and tarry there until the promise of the Father comes. You think he might have told them that? You think that might have been important for Jesus to tell every one of those people? I say the likelihood of that is extremely high. There was 120 there. That's 20%. 20% actually showed up for everything God wanted to pour out on the church. And when it got poured out on the church, there were people there that said, look at those stupid people. They're drunk. Yep. How many of you have heard people, or maybe even yourself, made fun of people who pray to the Spirit, especially in a church service? When I was ignorant and in a more traditional denomination than I am now, I was guilty. There are many of us that are guilty. It is not the unpardonable sin. And you can be righted on it as I am still being righted on it. I'm still learning that God really wants to open up heaven. Let me give you a word that the Lord has told me. He told me to begin to tell the congregation of how I operate and not everybody was going to go with me. If if he told 500 to show up in Pentecost and only 120 showed up, everybody wasn't going to want to go. I, don't, I just hope that's not you. I hope you want to go. I hope you want to charge God. I hope you want everything that heaven has to offer. I hope you want to be right smack dab in the miraculous. 
That's why I hear, I live, I got maybe 20 more years to go, if I'm lucky. For those next 20 years, I want to see the miraculous outpouring of God on a church, on a body of believers, and I'm going to fight for that, and I'm certainly not going to let religion get in my way. Amen? I just don't want it to happen. Do you? So let's look at what Peter did real quick. We got five minutes. So we know we should expect confusion, amazement, marveling. We know that the, the responses were those three and, and, and including uh, perplexed. They're thinking, what in the world is going on here? There was accusation that there was drunkenness. But then Peter stands up and he speaks. And I want you to hear what Peter said. Starting in verse 14. But Peter stood up with the 11. Now, I've always had some kind of image of Peter being, you know, a big old burly rascal that was scared of the bejesus out of most people, you know, as he, as he began to stand. But I don't think it's written like that. Let's, let's look at it and just see the tenderness that he's, he's writing in. He stood up with eleven, raised his voice, and said to them, Men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and heed my words. All he's really saying there is, listen, man, I'm telling you the truth. For these are not drunk, as you suppose, since it's only the third hour of the day, which is nine o'clock in the morning. But I've seen people drunk at nine in the morning. <laughs> But they, this wasn't it. This obviously wasn't it. <laughs> that was at a noon football game at the University of South Carolina. <laughs> Did I just ruin the whole passage of Scripture? I hope not. For these are not drunk as you suppose since it's only the third hour of the day. But this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. Then he quotes Joel and he says this, And it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out of my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And all my maidservants and all my men servants and maidservants, I'll pour out my spirit in those days on everybody that would believe. And they shall prophesy. What shall they do? I will show wonders in heaven above and signs on the earth beneath, blood and fire and vaporous smoke. Then the sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood. Now he's talking about the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Now, beautiful, beautiful, touching moment we're about to see. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs, which God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves also know, him being delivered by the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God. God knew beforehand, before he created the world, that this was going to come about. He knew it's going to come about. You have taken the, in, by lawless hands, have crucified him and put him to death. Now, you got to make sure that he, he, is, he is pointing out truth, but he's not being accusational. Because then he says this, Whom God raised up, having loosed the pains of death, because it was not possible that death 
could hold him down. That wasn't, listen, listen, just a minute. I want you to hear this. It says, it was not a possibility for death to hold Jesus down. That means that it wasn't a thought. It didn't have, it didn't have 99.9% possibility. It was absolutely impossible for death to hold Jesus down because God foreknew that this was about to occur. And then he says, he quotes David in the Psalms and says, David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face for he is at my right hand that I may not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh also will rest in hope for you will not leave my soul in Hades, nor will you allow your Holy One to see corruption. You have made known to me the ways of life. You will, make the full, you will make me full of joy in your presence. Men and brethren, this is what Peter says. Let me speak freely to you, of the patriarch David, that he is both dead and buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Therefore, being a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him, to David, that of the fruit of his body, according to the flesh, he would raise up the Christ to sit on his throne. He foreseeing this, David foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. This Jesus God has raised up, for which we all are witnesses. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured this out, which you now see and hear. Now listen. This is the important part. This is why we're being fooled. Because the resurrection of Jesus Christ, because he was filled with the Holy Spirit in the baptism, when John baptized him, he had to die. He defeated death. He was raised again. And because of his resurrection, he was able to outpour the Holy Spirit on the church, which opens up the possibilities of what God wants to do on this earth through the church. I mean, it's wide open. Heaven's open. The Spirit of God. It says about you and me that God the Father and God the Son will make His home in us. We have the same power living in us that raised Jesus from the dead. And because Jesus rose from the dead, we have the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. For what? Why? So that we can do signs, wonders, and miracles so that people would know that Jesus raised from the dead. Is that going to be confusing? Perplexing? Why does it happen to some and doesn't happen to others? Why do we always have all these thoughts and doubts? Because you're never, ever, ever, ever going to understand. You weren't intended to understand, and you, until you die, you will not figure it out. God is God, and you are not. Amen. And you're supposed to be at work in the power of the Holy Spirit, doing the work of the ministry. That can only be done by him. And it was the resurrection of Jesus that allowed him to pour out the Spirit on us. And then look what it says. He poured that out, which you see in here. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says to himself, The Lord set 
The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucify. Not again. There's, there's, it, the devil would have you accuse. It's not accusational. Both Lord and Christ. So, Jesus whom you crucify, both Lord and Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, repent. Who is he saying repent? Those that he just said because of an absence of revelation that Jesus was Messiah were part of maybe the crew who shouted crucify him, crucify him. Peter says, and repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Every one of you. Every one of you. There's nothing that you could ever do to disqualify yourself from receiving the fullness of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you and to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And then it says, And with many other words they testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. The whole empowerment of the Holy Spirit is so that 3,000 souls would be baptized and those that are coming. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and in fellowship and in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believe were together and all these things are common. That's called a kibbutz. Anyway. I am done. Absolutely fed up. Done with religious pharisaical attitudes closing up heaven. So I'm praying for confusion, <laughs> perplexion. That means, what in the world just happened? What I just see? That was way outside my ability to do anything. You know what that takes? That takes humility. You know what the opposite of humility is? Pride. Pride, Pride and the religious spirit are like married. So when you see it, identify it. Because it's in all of us. We all mess with it. God says, don't put me in a box. You think you got me figured out? Watch this. I'm not saying God's a redneck. <laughs> Watch this. Watch this right here. No, I'm not saying that at all. 
I'm saying that he's much bigger than we could figure out. We were never designed to figure God out. Do you not know that if you could figure out God, you would be him? That would make him not God. That would make you God. And I can tell you, and so can your wife, you're not it. <laughs> Amen? We're going to expand on this over the next few weeks. Has that been good? Is that, just open, let's just open up to the things of heaven. Amen? We're going to take communion, I think. Yes? Yes, we ready? Let's go get them. Let's sick them. Michael's going to play. We're going to pass this thing out. This is what I want us to do. I think personally, and I think I see it a lot in people, it's one of our biggest issues in this culture is that we got a control problem. We want, we want it right now, and we want it with excellence, and we want it cheap. <laughs> Am I right? Come on. We want it right now, we want it with excellence, and we want it cheap. How many of you know that Jesus' sacrifice on the cross wasn't cheap? It, 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 it wasn't. It was, it was, it cost him everything. And he didn't promise us everything right now. He didn't promise us everything that's in Scripture, all his promises aren't right now sometimes. But we live life as if they were, right? All the fathers of faith, it says they received and acted on the promises of God and they never saw any of them. So I think to begin to operate in the fullness of the Holy Spirit, you're going to have to get rid of your controlling nature. And I think that's one of the things that we need to deal with. It's just to say, it's just to say that, let me get one of those things. It's just to say that I'm, I'm done controlling. I hadn't got to figure it out. It hadn't got to be neat in some tidy little box. Matter of fact, if it's neat and so, in tidy, some tidy little box, I'm not sure God even has room to work. That's the problem with about half the churches that we're dealing with around. It's neat and tidy in a little box. And I don't think God does that. Matter of fact, I think he runs from little boxes. But he says, man, if you trust me, if you pray, if you look to me, if you seek my face, if you really want to know who I am, I'll show you. But it's going to be miraculous. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be perplexing. It's, you're not going to have understanding of it. It's going to be confusing to you. You're not going to get it all. You're not going to understand everything. You're going to see it and be wowed by it. And I never want to lose the wow factor. I want to expect the wow factor, but I want to be wowed. I want to say, wow, God. Wow. Wow, God. 
You know, the angels are around the throne saying, wow, God, 24-7. Holy, holy, holy are you, O Lord. Wow, wow, wow. Amazing, amazing, amazing. Jesus did some amazing things. It was known before the foundation of the world that he was going to carry out the crucifixion on the cross. It was stated in Scripture that it was impossible for death to hold him down. It was not even a possibility. So that he could pour out his spirit on the church and bring redemption and reconciliation and power to be sons and daughters of God. And we're not going to box that up anymore. We're not going to limit God on that anymore. I'm not going to limit God on that anymore. You've got to make that decision that I'm open to the miraculous of God in my life. I'm going to release the control problems I've got. I'm going to expect to be wild by God because that's what he does. He wows us. And he says when he initiated the communion dinner, do this in remembrance of me. Everything I've done for you, everything that's available, everything I am is now yours. Me and the Son, we're going to make our home in you. The Holy Spirit is going to fill you to overflow. What do you have to do? Just believe. Thanks for listening to the Eastside Church Podcast. If you have any questions or need more information, visit our website eastsidechurch.co